Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. Happy Wednesday, everybody, coming at you right after a ridiculous, emotional joyride coming at you here on the uh, just a ridiculous Tuesday night in the NBA. And we are here to cover it for you because we are talking to House of Phoenix Suns about his Phoenix Suns coming back from death and thanks to an Anthony Davis injury being up 3-2 against the Lakers in a game where the Lakers had zero points from Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Dennis Schroeder, despite playing 42 minutes and taking a dozen shots between the two of them. So, that happened. And we had the most epic, fantastic NBA game of the entire season. I'd argue the best game within two seasons between the Portland Trailblazers and the Denver Nuggets, and what better way to talk about the most epic game of the season. Where, Let me just read off some of the stats here, just right off the bat. Where we had Damian Lillard shoot 12 of 16 from three-point range. He hit 12 straight points to finish the overtime session, where the Blazers were down nine points at one point and down eight with 51 seconds left. The Blazers came back to tie the game. The Portland Trailblazers right before that had a three-point dagger from Damian Lillard to force overtime. Lillard scored 23 of the last 25 points for the Blazers, all of which came in the last three minutes of regulation and two overtime periods. So that would be 23 points in 13 minutes, including 75% from the three-point range, 12 straight points to finish off overtime, all five of the Blazers' points in double overtime. So the last 17 Portland points, two game-tying shots, Jokic and Lillard scoring the first 10 points of over of double overtime before Michael Porter Jr. hit an amazing three-pointer in the game of the year. And Damian Lillard finished with 55 points and 12 three-pointers, the most of any player in a postseason game in NBA history, and they lost in Game 5 because the rest of the Portland Trailblazers shot 1-for-19 in the two overtime periods. That's a combined 5% from the field. All of that is the long way to say we got to talk with Denver Nuggets expert Gage Bridgeford, who you will hear in this podcast knows a ton 
about the Denver Nuggets. He's been following them all season, writing about them for Denver Stiffs on SB Nation. This guy knows his shit. And we recorded before the game. We recorded before the most epic, fantastic game of the NBA season. And we required a lot of editing to make up for that. But we have a Denver Nuggets expert talking about what was the game of the season last night. And we talk about the Phoenix Suns being up 3-2. Because what is not a storyline without LeBron James and Anthony Davis being on the brink of being eliminated by the Phoenix Suns. So with that being said, first of all, let's talk to Gage Bridgeford with a heavily edited version of the podcast. I just spit so much on my shorts right there, just trying to get it all out because, oh my God, that was just 30 minutes of jaw-dropping, heart-racing basketball nirvana or heroin sex, as I like to call it in football. All of us having heroin sex with basketball and Damian Lillard last night because that emotional high was unlike anything we have seen. So with that being said, let's get to our double dip of NBA experts, Gage Bridgeford, Denver Nuggets expert, and House of Phoenix Suns. Check him out on Instagram, by the way. Please follow link in the bio or description of today's episode as well. Let's get to it because, oh my Lord, what a night of basketball it was. Good. Well, good afternoon now for you, Gage. How are you? I'm doing all right, Kyle. How you doing? I'm doing great today. I am excited. And uh, yeah, stuff has gone on since the last time we chatted. So I'm excited. What have you, what's, uh, what's been on your mind recently? Uh, mainly what's been on my mind has been the craziness that has been Denver. Oh, man. Gage had no idea what he was in for when he made that statement in the first place. By the way, if y'all are new to the podcast, this is Kyle from the future filling in with all sorts of tidbits of information because we recorded a podcast before a major event happened. In this case, maybe the greatest postseason game of the entire NBA season. Back to the podcast. The Nuggets have been all over the place for the last for the last several weeks, mainly due to injuries. And this series between Portland just looks like it's destined to go to seven games at this point in time. So this series has been funny, and I, this is why I'm glad we have a Denver Nuggets guy to come on because. This also disclosure for people listening, we're recording before game five tonight, but the Denver Nuggets Blazers series has been so evenly matched, which pretty much all the Western Conference series have been, except for, I guess, the Jazz now, but like three of them are at 2-2. But the thing with the Nuggets Blazers series, one, Mountain Time Zone, which people tune in less and less to Mountain Time Zone, but two, the games have been like Denver by 15. Portland by 15, Denver by 20, Portland by 32. Like it's been an evenly matched series with blowouts in every game. Yeah, there's not been like blowouts. there's not been like close game or there's been like two cl- two close-ish games and then there's been two blowout games. Like the the game uh the game the other night, game 4 was decided by final score 115 to 95. The game was not even that close. 
it, no, it was, the Blazers were up like 27 at one point in that game. Yeah, and green and uh, the Nuggets just pulled everybody. The same thing goes for the blowout that Denver had in Game Three that was on the road. Denver ended up winning that game. Well, I, wait, no, it was game. It was Game Two where they won 128 to 109. That game was not as close as that score would indicate because other than Damian Lillard, nobody on Portland could do anything. Then you had game three was a five-point win for Denver, game one, 14-point win for Portland. But, yeah, like you said, it's been just kind of back and forth, kind of close or, like, really close. You can flip a coin, heads or tails. Same thing goes for the West. And even the Utah Jazz and Memphis series, it's 3-1, but it's not like a blowout 3-1. Those have been no, it took like a four close-ish games. Yeah, took a heroic Donovan Mitchell game three to keep that series at Utah from going down two one. Like it was tied end of the game, and then Donovan Mitchell just went berserk. So yeah, even that series has been close. Utah's obviously going to win, but the the other two series are the ones that are just dominating attention because everyone's like, oh, the Lakers are going to lose. <laughs> now everyone was like, oh, we have to prepare for the Clippers to lose, and then lose. And it's like, oh, my God, what's happening now? And those two have dominated the headlines. And, you know, not under, not shockingly, Denver and Portland has kind of faded to the background a little bit. Yeah, I uh, on, let's see, what was it, Saturday night when the blowout loss for Denver happened, I am sitting here and I'm scrolling through Twitter. And all I'm seeing is people that have not watched Denver much this year they're just like realize they're just seeing Denver being like, man, Denver's just not as good as Portland. Yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, you guys have no clue what's going on. I'm like, Denver is down six of their top, like seven guards from what the start of the season was. And you're confused why Denver is getting shot out of the gym by a team that has Damian Lillard, Norman Powell and CJ McCollum on it. Yeah. Denver doesn't have the guards for that. No, no duh. That when you well, yeah. lose all of the, <laughs> when you lose, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, PJ Dozier, Will Barton, and like Monte Morris, like they lost all of the, all of those guys in like a month and a ha- in a month and a week span. It was it was bananas. And then they won like ten out of thirteen games, which of course makes perfect sense. Yeah, and their and their three losses were fluke ones. Like they had a game where just Steph and the Warriors just shot the lights out. You had a game against Boston where they had a nine or like. Uh, Denver had an eight point fourth quarter. It just was these super fluke games where it's like they're not going to happen again, and it makes no sense how it's just like that's how the best teams lost. Because I remember when the Bucks got really good two years ago, and the only way the Bucks were losing was on these super fluke games where just another team just had the best game of their best game of their year, and that's what happened to Denver there in that ten out of thirteen stretch. They've cooled off a little bit since then, but that's, I mean, that's just how life goes. Yeah, that's what you would expect. Eventually, life catches up to you when Facundo Campasso and Austin Rivers are your starting guards. Yep. And, and it feels like Denver and Portland are like the anti-each other's right now. Like, they're like bizarro versions of each other, where Denver's got this gigantic front court with Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Jokic, and just dudes at point guard and shooting guard, and then... The Blazers have Dame, CJ, Norman Powell, and then just I I don't even know who their power forward is. <laughs> it's it's Robert Covington who's been like Robert Covington who was the the cream of the, the bell of the ball for a couple of years. I felt like he was the big trade piece in a couple of pretty major trades there. Um, and then now he's just kind of he's a guy. He's just lost a little bit of athleticism due to some injuries. He's still playing solid defense. 
Um, and he is the classic. But he's not even that big either. He's not he, he, big. Six eight. He's like six eight. He's oh, and he's yeah. he's he's dense. He's a he's a dense guy. Kind of like how Paul Millsap is a power forward. Paul Millsap's only like six nine, but just really sturdy. That's Robert Covington's like a more athletic version of Paul Millsap. Kind of is kind of how I would describe him right now. Yeah, they're they're getting significant front court contribution from Mello at this point, which is never a great strategy for your team. Right at the end here is, can Mello give us a few three pointers? What do you know? In double overtime of Game Five between the Blazers and Nuggets, Damian Lillard did not attempt a shot in the final two minutes after scoring the final seventeen points for the Portland Trail Blazers, and 23 of the last 25 points. Why was that the case? Because Damian Lillard was being double-teamed. And who did he pass the ball up to? Mello. And what did the Denver Nuggets say on defense with Austin Rivers and Jokic on a double-team? Mello, we dare you to beat us. With a three-pointer. And the Portland Trailblazers, which is basically, outside of Damian Lillard, just a team of Carmelo Anthony's, went one for 19 in the two overtime periods. That is 5% from the field. Not going to say I called it, but I called it. Back to the podcast. That's a good strategy because Denver has no wing depth on like on their on their bench. They have Millsap as their best like wing defender that's going to come off the bench for you. You have Jamichael Green, but neither Millsap nor Jamichael Green are particularly like shifty guys. And Melo still has a little bit of burst to him. He's not like blowing by anybody, but he's a he's shiftier than those two guys are. If you had him on like Aaron Gordon, like if you had Aaron Gordon on him, yeah, Aaron Gordon could match up with him, but then. Like Aaron Gordon is also like not really going to test Melo defensively. He's just going to like Melo just turn say, yep, I'll give up a dunk. And then on the other end, I'll try and get a bucket over you. And it's not like this is totally uncommon where, yeah, I was watching, I, I can't, I think it was game three. I didn't watch the game on the weekend, but I think it was the game three, the close one where a lot of Denver's defense was we're going to dare some guys to hit three pointers. And you, you had brought up the lack of wing depth. And I was like, Oh, that would make sense. Why, you know, they're daring Covington to hit three pointers. They're daring um, Anthony Simmons to make three pointers. Yeah. And, and then Anthony Simon shot four of five in game one. He's like, yeah, he, they, this, this Portland team makes no sense. Carmelo is 11 of 25 from three point range. You have Dame is only 20 of 50. It's not like Dame's lighting it up. I, So, Damian Lillard, who was 40% from the three-point line prior to Game 5, ended up shooting 12 for 16 from the three-point line, which is 75%. And 12 three-pointers was an NBA playoff record. Gage, that could not have aged more poorly in the span of three hours. Back to the podcast. Got, I'm not going to say Dame got carried in game four, but Dame got carried in game four. The guy had 10 points, 10 assists. He was one of 10 from the floor, and it was a three-pointer, and then he was seven of seven on free throws. 
CJ McCollum and Norman Powell both poured in over 20 points. Joseph Nurkic had 20 or had 17. So they're like just this Portland team in game four, they hit, I think 40 or I think they hit like 49% of their threes. That's in their two wins in the series. They've shot over 45% from three point range. And I really wanted to talk about this matchup with Anthony Davis and the Nuggets bigs and how they could take down the Lakers. And now I'm looking up, I'm like, ah, shit, the Lakers are in trouble. <laughs> yeah, and- they, they really are because Anthony Davis is that, he's that matchup. Like that's, that's what swings it in LA's favor. Like is Anthony Davis being there because I, like nothing against like LeBron can still do LeBron things, but at the same time, he's going against Chris Paul, Devin Booker and Deandre Ayton who, that's not the big, the best big three. That's not a bad group, especially when the center he has is Andre Drummond, who's not exactly a defensive stalwart. And DeAndre Ayton's actually a pretty good offensive piece inside. Yes, but he's a bad defensive player, and they're putting. He's like actually Jay been Crowder's- decent. He he's actually been fine. Yes, he's been fine on Drummond, but there's a reason that they're having the the Jay Crowder or yeah Jay Crowder's and Cam Johnson's guarding. Anthony Davis for a lot of the series is just because they, they are trying to do the, the PJ Tucker strategy where dare him to settle, settle in the mid range, settle on the mid range. And when he drives, that's when you switch the double team on the Anthony Davis. Like the problem for them, of course, for the, or for the Lakers is that they have good wing defenders. Like Devin Booker has gotten much better as a defender. Chris Paul is awesome as a defender and Michael Bridges is awesome as a defender. And so the Lakers look up and they're like, okay, we can funnel through Anthony Davis. And if he gets 30 points, we're going to win. And if he settles for mid-range jumpers, we're probably going to lose. And that's kind of been the formula for this series. And without him, they can win, but their path to winning becomes a lot harder because they're going to need, to, to bring it back to the Nuggets Blazers series, they're going to need a 29-point Norman Powell game to try and stay alive in the series. Yeah. And I mean, that's how, that's how Denver won game three was they got a 21 point game from Austin rivers. If you look at Denver's guard rotation, that is the only game in this four game series where a guard for Denver has scored more than 12 points was Austin rivers scoring 21 (laughs) in game three. That's unbelievable. That is genuinely unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's just how it goes for Denver. Like with the, like I, I listed off their guards earlier. It's Austin Rivers, Faku Campazo, Monte Morris, and Marcus Howard. And then Shaq Harrison, who I think should be getting more minutes. He's not, but that's fine. I'm not the coach anyway. And Shaq Harrison's not an offensive guy. Marcus Howard, he, he shoots. He's got no Marcus problem. Howard that is the, Marcus Howard was the second child of the Steph Curry generation. It's just moving back to the NBA three point line and moving at the NBA pace. He's uh. It's just not very good at much. He's got no problem shooting. putting up shots. Like he can do that. But Monte Morris isn't a volume scorer guy. Faku Compazzo is a, another. Not a, he's not a volume scorer guy. Austin Rivers is a volume scorer. He's just not hyper efficient while he's doing it. He's shooting forty seven percent from three in the playoffs though, so that's really good. But it's just that one like random outburst. He went let's see seven of fourteen and five of ten on the night from seven fourteen from the field, five of ten from three point range. That that's the only time any guard has scored more than 12. It's so while Portland is getting this contribution, it's their backcourt and then their front court just has to chip in for Denver. It's your front court has to do the bulk of the heavy lifting. And then your backcourt just has to help out. Like in game one, you had Jokic Porter and Gordon combined for, I believe it was 71 or so points. It was over 70. 
and and you lost that game when yeah. and when you shoot over fifty percent, like your top three guys shoot over fifty percent and pour in seventy points, and you lose. That's that that can't happen because you can't waste, especially a good Aaron Gordon game. Aaron Gordon's never going to be a great shooter. So when he has a game where he goes seven of sixteen and is decent, you can't waste those good games. And that's exactly what Denver did in game one. They bounced yeah. back, bought one two, but still. And that's what gives me confidence that Denver will ultimately win the series, which is going to age really poorly if the Blazers win game five tonight. But the thing that gives me confidence is like the everyone was bad for the Nuggets in the last game. Like Jokic was awful. Gordon and Porter were single figures. Like everyone was terrible in that game against the Blazers. And so that's one where I look like that's just a regression to the mean from those awesome games that they had the first two. And I bet that those first two more reflect the Denver Nuggets going into the rest of the series than everything else added to the fact that the Blazers just can't not play defense to save their lives. Yeah, Porter had three points on three shots. It was not it was not a good night for him. Um, I looked up today and it was the it was like the seventh instant the entire season where he's played 20 plus minutes and scored in single digits. And one of those other instances was in the second to last game of the year where they were playing Detroit and the starters played like 22 minutes and then all got pulled. So I don't even take anything from that. So in full games that he's played, it's like six games all year where he scored, where he's played 20 plus minutes and scored less than 10 points. What do you know? Game five stat lines, obviously a game that went to double overtime, but Michael Porter Jr., 26 points. 12 rebounds, 3 assists. I'd say my man Gage Bridgeford knows exactly what it is that he's talking about. Back to the podcast. I think that Portland is going to say, we got to throw somebody at Porter, and it's probably going to be Covington. And when you do that, that gives Aaron Gordon a really big advantage because if Gordon's guarding... Is Gordon, if Gordon's being guarded by Norman Powell, that's not a good matchup for Portland because Norman Powell is six foot three. He is just he's not big enough to handle my Aaron Gordon. And if Aaron Gordon no, learns to use his size and takes advantage of those matches, can put Portland in a really disadvantageous situation. It all comes and it all starts with Porter being aggressive early because Jokic is going to do Jokic things. He was inefficient game four. That's going to happen, but he's going to do Jokic things. And so it's, it all comes down to Porter being aggressive, which opens up space for literally everybody else on the floor. But specifically, it makes Aaron Gordon's life a whole lot easier. And at the risk of, again, sounding stupid because something happened in the Denver game, um, is it safe to argue that Michael Porter Jr. might be the second best player on the Denver Nuggets, even when Jamal Murray's healthy? Or, to another extent, are the Nuggets better when Michael Porter Jr. is the second best player instead of Jamal Murray? I'm going to say no to both as of right now. Um, the main reason for that I say no is Porter's handle. Like his defense got better this year. It's still not great. He's still got to work on that end. He's still – his shot selection is a little – I mean, I'm okay with it. I, I love watching him chuck up shots because, he, like I said, he makes a lot of them. But at the same time – I do have to acknowledge his shot selection can be a little greedy at times and he needs to learn how to handle the ball better. The, like he is, you kind of remember those games where clay would be like, Oh, clay Thompson had 75 points on and he dribbled twice the entire night. Like those, like that's kind of what Porter does. 
he doesn't dribble a whole lot. He'll do a lot of dribble handoffs. He'll get a lot. He'll get some runs to the rim, lobs, uh, catch and shoot opportunities. But he really needs to work on his handle. And until he can effectively dribble and drive better, I can't put him above Murray, especially because Murray took a big jump on defense this year when Murray was really locked in. Like there was a game against Boston um, early in, or I want to say it was like February or March, maybe where Murray locked in on Jason Tatum. It was, it, it wasn't, you didn't send Aaron Gordon or you didn't send any of your defensive stoppers at him. You didn't send PJ Dozier. You sent Jamal Murray, who is a six, five guard. And Jason Tatum is, I believe like six, eight, a little bit of a height advantage. Murray didn't care. And Murray played good defense on him. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't like Pat Beverly or one of these other elite defensive stoppers, but would you have your star guard go out there and say, I got it. I'm going to go take the tough matchup. I got him. And he actually did well while also continuing to put in points on the offensive end. That was a big development from Murray this year. And I think that you're really seeing how much of a difference Murray would make in this series. I just told you that there's not been a Denver guard to score more than 12 other than Austin rivers once in game three, Murray would have had, would be averaging probably 20 points, 20 plus points per game. Yeah, in this that makes series. that makes the Nuggets one of the favorites in the Western Conference with the with the increase in output that um, that Michael Porter Jr. has had, plus the fact that they really need someone to start taking more shots. That that would put the Nuggets like right up there to to maybe catch any of these teams in the Western Conference. Yeah, and- Murray gives you more like Murray gives you shooting that you don't get from Faku and Austin Rivers. Murray gives you the ability, another ball handler, nothing against Composo. I'm not the biggest fan of him. I've made that very well known. I've gotten attacked on Twitter a couple of times for it. I don't really care. Yeah. Cause, cause no one, you're not allowed to hate Composo. Composo <laughs> is just the, the lovable figure that comes from Europe and everyone, he develops a cult following. Well, Dude. usually not, not just Europe, just the white guys like Tio Dosic used to be that guy. And then it was Caruso and now it's Compasso. It's just the short white guys get a nice cult following on Twitter. No, no, I no, I have people from like Argentina that do not like me and told me they were going to come to Denver and find me. But anyway, moving on. You don't even live in Denver. right? I, they don't know that. I said that on the <laughs> podcast and they, they, they just glossed over it. I'm like, okay. Like I said on the podcast where I lived and they just completely blew past it, but it's fine. Yeah, I'm not a huge Faku guy, but Faku can handle the ball a little bit, but he's better as a second unit handler. And he also can't shoot very well. He's shooting 40% from three in this playoffs, but he's eight of 20. And I don't really, and his his jump shot is just not one I'm a fan of. He also can't drive because he's 5'10". He's like, he's shorter than me. If you're shorter than me as an NBA player, you're not going to do great inside. That's just, that's life. That's how it works. Yeah. Unless you have freak athleticism, that's just how it works. Or and you're Kyle that. Lowry and you're just willing to take a shit ton of charges all the time. That Well, that works, but that's also, that's on defense. That's not on offense. Like yeah. how, like you got, if you're going to be short, you have to develop a jump shot or a floater. And Faku doesn't really have either one of those. And he's just he, got crazy passes. <laughs> yeah. And his passes get him in trouble a lot. So but yeah, so Faku again, second tier guy. Austin Rivers is fine. Like again, second tier, second tier guy yeah. though. But when you're just with all these injuries, you can't do much. But Murray would make such a difference for this team from his shooting ability that he brings. He's decent on defense when he's locked in, especially in the playoffs, and his ability to get to the rim and score. You don't have that. Faku can't really do that. Austin Rivers can do it here and there, but just Murray's so much more consistent. So while I love Porter and I love the ceiling that's there, and if Porter comes back in. The, comes back in the fall, winter, whenever we start next season, and he can handle well. He doesn't have to be Kevin Durant. He doesn't have to be Kyrie, James Harden. He just has to, if he can handle well, the entire Western Conference is put on notice because you'll have 
Gordon, Porter, Jokic, and then Murray when he returns from his injury. And the entire Western Conference is going to be in trouble because that'll be a very scary quadrant of people. But until Porter can dribble more consistently and into traffic and get inside, I just I can't quite put him over Murray yet or say that Denver is better with just Porter. I'm happy to make Austin Rivers jokes all show. Like, that's something that just 20 minutes of Austin Rivers jokes would be fun content because the joke I've been making is that Austin Rivers would be great if every team didn't have an Austin Rivers. And I know that every team has an Austin Rivers because he's been on three different teams now this season. And so the other joke I heard is, is Austin Rivers on every basketball team, which I think is probably true at this point, just... Austin Rivers has been on every team in the past four seasons at this point. Always just finds his way to a playoff team at the end of the year. And here, here's the thing. He's loved in Denver. Like, we, like I, I'm not in the Denver media market. Like, I obviously, I cover Denver, but I'm not in the Denver media market. He yeah, is you're, beloved. Not a, you're not a beat reporter. You're he's just he's beloved reporter. by everybody. His interviews are really good. He always has really great clips of things that he says. He says nothing but good things about Denver and, like, the city. So he, he's an awesome guy to have, and he loves being there. That's not something you hear from everybody. Like, obviously, Denver is not the big market that Philly or L.A. or New York is. And it's, a, like, it's, a, it's a, just a small city thing. It's just how it's always been. Rivers legitimately likes being there and does nothing but talk good about Denver, which is just hilarious for a guy that has played in with the Knicks. Houston, uh, the Clippers in LA. He was in New Orleans for like to start his career. The guy's been in bigger markets. I understand New Orleans is not the biggest market, but he's been in some big markets. And he all all he talks about whenever he's in a Denver interview is just how much he loves being there and loves being on his team. So honestly, if Austin Rivers came back next year, it wouldn't be the worst thing because everybody can use a, gu- a guard off the bench that can pour in 15 points. Just look at Jordan Clarkson. He's doing it. But, it, but the difference is Rivers is at least like, not going to make you think yeah. that he's not going to shoot. Jordan, Jordan Clarkson, Clarkson can Jordan Clarkson can at least create his own shot. Like Austin Rivers is kind of a sit in the corner shoot guy when the defense collapses on MPJ or Jamal Murray, but Jordan Clarkson at the very least can create his own shot from the wing. Rivers can create it. It's not going to necessarily look pretty. It's not going to be great. Jordan Clarkson is going to shoot better, but Austin Rivers is going to go get his damn shot. He, he is, he's Jamal Crawford, just not as good of a three-point shooter. He's just going to go do things, and something's going to happen. And, but you can't take your eyes off him. Whenever he has the ball, I'm like, what is going to happen here? Yeah. He's, like, he's, like a, he's like a less terrifying to watch Faku Composo because Faku, I legitimately don't know what he's going to do. Austin Rivers, I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do, but I think I might have some faith in you not messing this up for me. Yeah, Faku is an interesting player because – his game is more aligned to be like just a complimentary guy. And and guys like him are usually now twos. Like the traditional point guards are better served as twos where they, they, they can make the passes, but they don't necessarily run the offense. The problem with him is just, he can't shoot. Austin rivers is like a stereotypical, like wing player now, like a Bogdanovich. He's an honorary Bogdanovich, I think is the way to, to describe it. But, the problem with Compasso is that he can't shoot. And they were kind of doing that with Jamal Murray. Like asking Compasso to be Jamal Murray is going to be a bit of an issue for them. Yeah, and I talked about this right after Jamal Murray's injury happened. I wrote an article that the best way to replace Murray was to act like he never existed. Because if you try and replace him by trying to make somebody step up and be him, you're not going to be successful. There's a reason there's only so many – There's there's only one Jamal Murray. There's only one Jason Tatum. There's only one – Damian Lillard, there's only one of these guys that are 
really, really, really good players. There's yeah. a reason that there's not a billion of them because if there was, it, it, they wouldn't be special. Special players cannot be replicated just overnight. So the best way to replace Jamal Murray was to not replace him at all. The best way to replace him was to have everybody buy in a little bit. Monte Morris coming off the bench. At first I didn't agree with it, but it makes a lot of sense because I would rather have Monte Morris running the second unit than have Faku running the second unit. And Faku, for all of his warts, he's he may not be a great defender just due to size, but he is feisty as all get out. And I love watching him just bother Damian Lillard all game. It is that's hola- been, it's hilarious. That's been, it's been the interesting thing with the Nuggets throughout this series is that Denver is one of these rare playoff teams that actually goes 10 deep. Now they don't always play Shaq Harrison, like you said, but a lot of teams shorten their rosters towards the end of the season. And Patrick Beverly is DNP for the Clippers and Montrez Harrell is DNP for the Lakers, but the Nuggets, because they're in this situation are playing like they would in the regular season where they go 10 deep on the roster instead of playing matchups in 41 minutes a game. Yeah, and they would even be they would be going ten deep still, even if like they had all the health. Like let's say Will Barton and PJ Dozier come back. Those are the only two that are gonna come back because obviously Murray Jamal Murray's out no for the chance, year. But, yeah, Murray's yeah. done for the year. He's already had ACL surgery. Dozier and Barton are the only two that might come back at any point in this playoffs. So let's say those two come back and you put you put Barton into the starting lineup, Austin Rivers goes to the bench. And Faku probably stays in the starting lineup. Personally, I would play PJ Dozier, but that's just me. So you put so then Faku stays in the starting lineup. You have Faku, Barton, Gordon, Porter, Jokic. Rivers is still going to get minutes off the bench. He'll get all of the minutes that Marcus Howard was getting, and then whatever minutes Shaq Harrison was getting, and then PJ Dozier would get the get the same amount of minutes there. These guys would continue to go ten deep. That's just how Michael Malone is like to do likes to do things. He likes to play deeper. He likes to take advantage of Denver's depth and that because that's not something every team has. Like you said, Patrick Beverly, Montres Harrell, those are guys that are registering DNPs. D- the only guys that register DNPs for Denver are Bobol, JaVale McGee, and Zeke Naji. Oh, and then Vlatko Chanchar. Because <laughs> I the, forgot JaVale McGee was there. That's so funny. I forgot they traded for him at the deadline. <laughs> yep, he's played seven minutes so far. He has got... Um, he has, let's see, seven, zero points. He's not scored yet. He's 0 for 3. Um, he's just he's just out there trying to, like, be a body, but he doesn't really play a whole lot. He, this is one of the rare situations where Denver goes small. Up until this year, Mason Plumley was always getting minutes, no matter what. Ah, uh, yes. Of course, and, and they it, had a Plumley. <laughs> they had, and they had to play him. Plumley was penciled in for 20 minutes a night for for months, and I'm like, why, why are we still doing this? But – because yeah, he's just so, talented because the rest of the roster is Marcus Howard and Shaq Harrison. <laughs> well, I mean, we didn't even have Marcus Howard or Shaq Harrison this year or last year. But, yeah, so, they, so yeah, they they go small now, which really is interesting because Portland can't go small. Yursef, in the minutes that Yursef Nurkic is off the floor, Portland gets blasted. Whenever, like, Yo, if Jokic is on or any of the starters for Denver are on and Nurkic is off the floor, Portland's in trouble. That's why in games two and three when he got in foul trouble – Portland was Portland was just done for because you now can't stop the rim at all because Ennis Cantor isn't going to stop anybody at the rim and you don't and after Cantor you have nobody that's going to pose any threat to blocking any shots and then you like you have Harry Giles on the bench who's played a whopping four minutes in the series so far he's not going to do anything so if Nurkic gets in foul trouble at all which doesn't happen because for whatever reason Denver gets no foul calls I I don't this is something I've 
been very frustrated about for a while watching Denver. It makes no sense to me how they can just get hacked all day. Jokic can come out of the game with blood going down his arm, no foul call. And then I see John Morant go and leap into a pile of three three guys. No one touches him. He just jumps through, and then they're like, eh, foul. And it's like, no, he, he didn't the, get fouled. The John Morant one, the John Morant case specifically, I love analyzing this because his, his body movements are so violent that the refs feel like they have to call a foul because it looks like he's about to tear his ACL every single time he makes a move. Like, it, it's so scary every time John Morant does something ridiculous. Like, I, to the point about the Nuggets, like, well, also to Nurkic. Let's talk, let me take Nurkic first. Like, the point with Yusuf Nurkic was that we got the perfect example of just how valuable he is to that team because last year, pre-pandemic they were going to miss the playoffs like they would have missed the playoffs had the pandemic not happened and then they get to the bubble and they went like seven and one and then won the play-in game and then lost to the lakers because lillard got hurt but they they just were a 180 switch once they had that big in the middle and part of it was damian lillard going unconscious in the bubble but he changed their outlook so much because without him you, there's nothing you can do to stop a, any team from scoring 130 points against you because then you have no interior defense and no perimeter defense. Yeah, Nurkic is a like I Nurkic and the whole Nurkic and Denver thing is a very um, difficult topic. People get like there's people that are like, oh, we never should have moved out from Nurkic. I mean, most people have like kind of gotten over that to this point. But there's still a couple of people that are holding out, but Nurkic like hates Denver and whatever. But there's just this issue where Denver just can't draw fouls. Like in this series, they have a two free throw advantage over Portland. But I think that that's due to a very big discrepancy. in I believe it was game two that kind of overcorrected because in game one, they were outshot by 11 free throws and they just, they don't get to the line as much. And it causes a problem because you'll, like I said, Damian Lillard had 10 points despite making one free throw uh, or despite making one bucket on Saturday. That's because he had seven free throws. It's just, it's just how it goes. There's just guys that are better, better at getting foul calls than others. And I listened to a podcast the other day where someone said the same thing about John Morant. It looks like every time he jumps, he's going to hurt himself. And it's kind of like the, uh, the old Shaq or the LeBron rule. You had to adjust the rules for Shaq and LeBron because if you called a foul, you would call a foul on every single time that those guys went to the rim because they just play with so much physicality. You have to call a foul. And Jokic, I think, is somewhat the same way. He gets contacted so much that if you called a foul, there he would literally just be spending the entire night at the free throw line. So while I get that there's some give and take there, I do I do think that there's like certain guys that get superstar calls a little bit more. Uh, Jokic is not does not tend to be one of those guys. Yeah, I think that you're definitely right about that. But I think the thing with Jokic is just look at him. Like, how are you going to foul that guy? He's six eleven. He's built like a loaf of bread, and he hits these like driveway Dirk faders. I love that phrase. Shout out to the the no dunks guys. He hits these like Dirk Nowitzki one-footed dad in the driveway faders and also will just body you in the middle and dunk the basketball. And Jokic is unlike anything we have in the league, not named Joel Embiid. And so both of them kind of become victims of that situation. Now Embiid obviously has the knee injury now and you know, they, they really needed that victory yesterday for the resting purposes, but the both of them are kind of in a similar boat with that type of like, these are gigantic human beings who are more skilled and bigger than all of the people they're going against. So I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. 
Yeah, Jokic, and I think that the bubble or like the the stoppage last year due to the pandemic might have been the best thing to ever happen to him in his career because he came back from the break just in the best shape we've ever seen him in. You you made the joke the loaf of bread. Jokic is not a loaf of bread anymore. He is a he is a very in shape whatever he weighs. I believe he's a I believe Basketball Reference lists him at like two hundred eighty pounds. He's not 280 pounds. I can tell you that. He's probably around like 260, 260. He's probably like 265, if I'd have to guess. He is a very chiseled and in-shape guy. And he just – he has the power to go, th- go through people. He had more dunks in his career this year than he had in any other season to this point. I think his previous career high was 15 in a year. In, and he had 15 within the first like month of the year. Just he yeah. – because dunking was never his thing. And then this year he just blew past that mark in a hurry. He's the most athletic he's ever been. You made the, the comparison that Joel Embiid is the only other big like him. And I think that they are both unicorns in their own unique way. Embiid's still that classic back you down. Jokic can do that, but Jokic is more Hakeem and Kareem in that he can do a little yeah. bit more finesse versus Embiid. Shaq where he's just going to, he's going to body you and he's going to dunk on you. And then he'll hit thrust on the floor. They're both unique in their own ways. Jokic is they're both able to stretch out to the three-point line a little bit they're not like knockdown guys they're not Dirk but they can knock down shots enough that you have to go cover them and then with Jokic losing that weight he can now drive by people when you see your Nurkic close out hard on him Nurkic is that's a that's an easy bucket for Denver because Jokic is going to just dribble right past them and dunk it because there's no one behind him and Nurkic is closed out too hard and he's not nimble enough to get back while Jokic can easily just drive by him it was it was a really fun thing to see this year because everyone's like, oh, Jokic is slow. He's out of shape, yada, yada. Guess what? Now Jokic is – he's skinny Jokic in that he's still 265 pounds, and he's he's got enough of a shot fake to get you up in the air, to get you closing on him, and then he's going to drive by you and dunk it, and you're going to be like, how did this 7-foot, 265-pound man just get from the, the three-point line to the rim in two seconds? How, how, how did he just do that Well, he, when he was standing still two seconds ago? Yeah, uh, Jokic is another weird breed, and it's the super skilled five because Embiid's not going to be giving you triple doubles. Like that's the other part where Jokic's game is more. I'm not going to say more evolved, but they just they do play a different game. But they both have what they call like super skilled fives in the way that like Giannis and LeBron. Well, young LeBron. LeBron doesn't play this game anymore, but Giannis plays like the young LeBron, but their games are different because LeBron is bulkier and Giannis can just like one two from the free throw line dunk a basketball with his long arms so it changes it changes the game a little bit based on what they have available but you're right about skinny Jokic like Jokic Jokic and Harden are the two that I say they just bounce around on weight so much that like one bad photo will make them look 280 and then there's that photo from Serbia over the pandemic where Jokic looked like 210 pounds and it was like Jesus that he looks like one of those offensive linemen who transforms their body after retiring in the NFL. Yeah, no, it's, it's this interesting thing where the NBA is in a really weird spot. Guys can like there, you'll still have guys like Giannis and uh, like Giannis, who is really chiseled, really muscular, not a lot of body fat. And then you'll have guys like Harden who obviously we saw fat Harden in Houston. And then he took off the fat suit within his first two days of being in Brooklyn. And he's, Still not, he's still not like muscular by any stretch of the imagination, but he's just got a little, he's got power to him. And he is a little bit on the chubbier side. Jokic is like, while Embiid looks really chiseled because he's so lanky and so tall, Jokic looks a little chubbier, even though he's just, he, Jokic is not as 
chiseled as Embiid is, but he's he's just as strong as Embiid because he's got he's got that stupid strength that he doesn't look that strong, and then he just knocks over Yusuf Nurkic without breaking a sweat, and you're like, oh, that's right, this guy's 6'11", 265 pounds, and he can body up anybody at any time. This The NBA we're in right now is a really fun one because guys can be a lot of different things and be successful here. You don't have to be just one thing. Shaq Harrison is just a defensive guy, and that's okay because he's good at that. Nikola Jokic can't stretch the floor super well. He can stretch it a little bit, but that you don't have to be that great at it. Just like you can be Davis Bertans and do nothing more than shoot threes, and there's a role for you where you make $80, $80 million over four years. Yeah, shit, Duncan Robinson's about to get $80 million in free agency. Like, of course, everyone wants one of those guys. All right, one last question that I will respond to after the fact to see how right you were with our edits after. The Nuggets will have blank players scoring double figures in game five. Four. That number turned out to be five Nuggets over 10 points. Back to the podcast. Yep, I think it's going to be Jokic, Porter, Gordon, and then it's going to be one of Morris, Campazzo, and Millsap. That's the like that's the three. I realize that that's a really wide net, but I don't think it's going to be Rivers. Like like if anything, Rivers maybe gets ten, but I'm not really counting on that. I think probably it's Morris because Morris just finds a way to put up five, put up ten shots, yeah. and he makes five of them every night. Millsap could get there, but there's no guarantee he gets the minutes. You want irrefutable proof that my man Gage knows exactly what he's talking about? In 41 minutes, Monte Morris finished with a career-high 28 points against the Portland Trailblazers. And Paul Millsap only got 11 minutes in the game and finished with a whopping total of 4 points. My man Gage knows his shit. He could not have been more right. Back to the podcast. So I'm basically going Morris is the guy I'm predicting to be the fourth one outside of the big three, just purely based off of minutes over guys like Marcus Howard. And he puts up more shots than Faku does. And do you think that's going to be enough to win the game or no? I do. Um, and it's mainly because I think Porter is going to have a big night. And a big night it would be for Michael Porter Jr., with his 26 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists, and the go-ahead 3-pointer with 90 seconds left in double overtime. Almost wipes out the fact that he was loud wrong about Damian Lillard earlier. Back to the podcast. Jokic has a big game as well. Jokic only has three, or only has 12 assists through four games. The guy oh, was, was averaging that was my like. Next thing. Do you think Jokic yeah. has a triple double tonight? I don't think Jokic quite gets the triple double. He just doesn't pass quite enough right now. Combined with there's not enough shooters on the floor with him. If he had more shooters, like if he was playing with Monte Morris, I would I would maybe have a little bit more faith in it. But just I don't have enough faith in the shooters around him. But I think that he gets a double double, and I think he probably comes up with like six assists is what I'm pegging him for tonight. But I just think Jokic Porter have a really big night i think gordon is able to put up like 15 uh and then just somebody else kind of chips in and it's just a little bit of everybody else kind of helping out and plus another thing that we didn't really talk about i think damian lillard is really worn out and three-point shooting from other guys is not going to stay that consistent there's you you, a team doesn't shoot nearly 50 percent from the floor at every from three-point range in every game it just it doesn't happen 
And so I think three-point regression is going to happen. And Lillard, while a superhuman and an amazing player, can't carry you every night. And I think that tonight is one of the nights where he lags and there's not enough people to kind of pick up the slack. All right, then. Thank you again. Check out Gage Bridgeford. I've got links in the description. So find his Twitter, find SB Nation, where he covers the Denver Nuggets and also Green Bay Packers talk. There's no no new developments except Aaron Rodgers. You nailed it. Is going to be a Packer next year. So uh, yep. check out all the cool work there. And uh, yeah, anything else? No, that's uh, nope. You got everything. Add G Bridgeford NFL on Twitter. If you are a person that loves Faku Composo, come tell me why I'm why I'm wrong in my DMs. I'd appreciate it. Nikola Jokic would finish. One assist short of that triple-double, but he did finish with 38 points, 11 rebounds, and 9 assists in the game. In what would end up being the game of the season that, of course, we recorded right before. Now it's time for House of Phoenix Suns. Back to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> you must be feeling good right now. <laughs> no, the last time we spoke, I was I was sounding pretty pessimistic. I must admit, but no, and there was reason to. We talked just before Game Three, and uh, it was one-one. They ended up losing Game Three pretty bad. Like everything we said was coming true, and then Anthony Davis got hurt, and all I of a sudden, that. the series shifted. I feel bad because. Like, that is the reason why I feel we're winning. But at the same time, I'll take it. (laughs) Like, it's just. I mean, 30 point home playoff victories against LeBron James don't come around very often. No, that's for sure. Uh, So, for those tuning in, this is House of Phoenix Suns. Y'all know him. He's awesome. He covers the Suns. Follow him on Instagram. And he's got to be feeling good about himself now because as the time we speak, we are minutes following game five of the Phoenix Suns and Los Angeles Lakers and Suns are up three, two. And it looks like with minimal Anthony Davis sightings, they might have a chance to pull the upset that nobody thought was possible. Even we thought was dead in the water as of last Wednesday. So it is a turning point for the Phoenix Suns as a franchise. Yeah. And it was really weird. Like at the end of the game, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, can this game end already? We know it's going to win. That's how I was feeling after game three. I was like, can we just end this game already? We know it's going to win. We know Lakers are going to win that game. But now it's flip-flop. I'm like, I'm ready for game six already. That's just that's just fast forward to the next game because I'm ready to, to beat these guys. So I'm just a little bit worried about Chris Paul. Um, but we'll see how that goes. He's, he seemed fine on the free throws that he took after he re-injured his shoulder. But we'll see how it feels. And hopefully he'll be back. And to be honest, this one is difficult because when we initially planned this, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Either we're going to get a close LeBron victory and we can analyze the heartache of a Suns fan or the Suns are going to win and everyone's excited. And now I walk away from that game. I'm like, there is nothing I can take away as a representative sample of either team from this game. Like the Suns did some good things, but I'm looking at the Lakers box score. Zero points from Dennis Schroeder. Zero points from Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Wow. Five from Wes Matthews. Seven from Drummond. 
Like, it, it's unbelievable how poorly the Lakers played in that game. Like, just from start to finish, just awful. Which makes it good that the Portland and Denver game was going on at the exact same time. The greatest playoff game of the postseason happened to be at the same time as this dud. Yeah, I know. So that one's obviously going to get more attention, I feel. But, like, the thing that really stood out to me is that the Suns in the first first four games, we had a bunch of turnovers in the first quarter, and that was what was really killing us. And turnovers were just piling up. But today we had four turnovers. Four. All game. Which was crazy to think about because, like, just – I don't know if it was just because Anthony Davis wasn't in, Chris Paul was feeling better. I don't know what it was, but – Four turnovers all game is something – that's that's the main reason. And we were obviously making all of our threes that we were taking because we, we, had, we hadn't made double-digit threes all, all playoffs, I, I don't think. And then today we shot like 50% from three. So those were the two big reasons why we won. And obviously Dennis Schroeder having zero points and KCP having zero points is something – and so by the way, definitely... yeah, to add to that, those guys had a combined, like, what, let's see, like 42 minutes and scoring zero points. Like, that was – and a game where they sat the whole fourth quarter. Like, that yeah. is just unbelievable. But on the Phoenix side, like, Devin Booker was just, like, crazy man in the first half with the three-point shot. And like you said, they shot over 50% as a team from three-point range. Yeah, which is – like, I, I, I'm just still in shock about how well we played. It was something – I, I think it was something that I thought at the beginning of the season. Like I was like, th- I'm kind of embarrassed of how good we looked. I, I don't know. I, I shouldn't feel that way because usually I'm embarrassed by how bad we look. But it was just so embarrassing how we just pulled them apart and how they every loose ball was going our way. I just felt great to be a Suns fan today. Of course. I mean, this is the greatest you felt in 10 years. And you're not yeah. you're the same age as me. So this is almost your memorable lifetime. This is the greatest that you felt. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a, it's a meme I have saved on my phone of John Oliver where he's like, I, I did not think this would happen. And now I don't know what to do. <laughs> that's how it's going to be when we, when we win game six. That's how I'm going to be feeling. But <laughs> I, I just genuinely don't know what to do. Even just from an analyst standpoint, because the thing I do in these games is just, okay, let's just throw all of it to the side. There's not really much we can learn from this game. Phoenix was ridiculous, and the Lakers had a historically bad game. And so from the Lakers' standpoint, this just comes down to where's Anthony Davis? That's what the whole series has been. Like in the games, obviously without this one, but even before this, Davis, I think, had like 15 and 12 in the games they lost. And in the games they won, he had like 34 and 30. Yeah. So it seems like the Lakers go as AD goes, which makes sense because the Suns have great perimeter defense and not great big man defense. And yeah. That yeah, that's looked true. very evident tonight. Yeah, I, I definitely think it would have been a different game if Anthony Davis was playing, but that's just basketball, I suppose. I mean, if you think about all the teams that have won championships or gone on finals runs they've always gone against a team that's missing a key player with an injury so it's yeah. just part of basketball and I'm, I mean I'm not going to celebrate his injury but it's just unfortunate for the Laker fans well yeah and you look around at the west now and you're like oh shit we can win this yeah <laughs> we can do this thing I know <laughs> like especially if the Mavericks beat the Clippers because I feel after Lakers Clippers might be the the favorites and if Mavericks can yeah. take care of that it's wide open no, yeah, that's the thing I said before is, like, if 
one of those teams loses, and I thought it was going to be the Clippers at first, like seeing them go down 0-2. I was like mentally yeah. preparing for the Clippers to lose, and then Luka got hurt. And at that point, you're pretty much doomed when Luka gets hurt, which made me yeah. sad because I was looking around. I'm like, oh, shit, Luka can do this. <laughs> but then I look around, and like, if you take out the Lakers or the Clippers, that means you're one upset away from just chaos. Yeah, this is, exactly. a, this is like March Madness theory. Like you're just one <laughs> upset away from chaos breaking out in a bracket. And in the West, like anyone could, any, any of these second round exit teams could slide through. Like Denver could slide through. Phoenix could slide through. Utah could slide in. It, yeah. In the power vacuum that's been created in the West. Yeah, which is kind of weird. And I was talking to my dad the other day and it, it's like the East, it, considering how the playoff series have gone so far the east is looking like the stronger conference this year which is kind of surprising considering it hasn't really been in a in a while like yeah the Cavs are obviously the favorites most of the time when when lebron yeah, was LeBron, there lebron won the eastern conference eight years in a row yeah exactly so like that wasn't really very competitive but now you got like the bucks the sixers and the nets i feel those three are if if the Lakers and Clippers lose, they're those three are the favorites to win. I think the NBA Finals. Yeah, I think there's no argument you can make there around that. Like the the Suns thing in the West is fascinating because the Suns and the Jazz are like, oh my gosh, look at these fun stories of teams we didn't think would be good and now could like walk away champions. But yeah. in the East, it's like oh, three superpowers and maybe the NBA finals in the second round between Milwaukee and Brooklyn, at least yeah, the way most people are talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited to watch that as well, especially as a neutral fan. I don't really care who wins. I'm, I just want to see some good basketball considering like Suns are doing well. I'm happy. I don't care really what happens on the East Eastern conference side, as long as we make the finals or whatever, as long as we keep winning, I'm happy. Yeah. That seems to be, the general ethos with Phoenix right now. And I, I didn't catch the end because I was just losing my shit watching Damian Lillard. But <laughs> yeah. what what ended up happening with Chris Paul? I didn't actually know what happened with his injury. Oh, uh, yeah, so he got bumped on the shoulder by Wesley Matthews, and then he went down in like a heap of pain. He ran over to the bench and whatnot. Um, but then so we were in the bonus at the time, so uh, he had to shoot free throws. He shot both his free throws. He made both, and then he went back, and they're like, we're up by 30. We'll just sit him the rest of the game, so. Okay, so I don't think it's too bad, considering he he was able to make both his free throws. But I mean, Clay Thompson, I think, made both his free throws with an ACL tear. So yeah, but shoulder, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the the weird lore that we talk about in history, like oh my gosh, these heroic performances of Chris Paul battling injuries for the seventh consecutive postseason, and yeah helping lift Phoenix, the, the team of the young, lead, lead the babies into the second round and all that jazz. Yeah. And another thing that really stood out to me in this game was like the fans. It was crazy on TV, just listening to how loud it was. There. Well, see, this is uh this is a funny thing that I like, I've been joking about to myself and some people for the last couple of days is like rally. The Valley is just an excellent slogan. Like yeah, hands <laughs> down, it is an, excellent slogan chosen by the phoenix suns like i could talk for like 20 minutes just about that slogan because the phrasing of that was perfect like the mavericks one is like they have dallas and then they took the a l l and made it all in and i'm like okay that's that's not bad it's it's something 
But Rally the Valley is just whoever came up with that in the meeting was just excellent job by them. Yeah, but also, I feel like Sacramento is the OG Valley, so they're going to steal that whenever they make the playoffs. Yeah, probably. <laughs> whenever that may be, which could be another 10 years down the road. <laughs> no, but Phoenix is waiting a long time, too. So, yeah, they, they have not it, like Dallas for a certain point, like they kind of have to rotate names at some point, And at a certain point, they're just running out of ideas. But th- so I like now the idea of someone's just been sitting for six years. I'm like, I've got the perfect slogan. Just, just you <laughs> yeah, wait. That's true. <laughs> that's we, we've been waiting six years, but I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, rally the Valley. Hashtag Rally the Valley Phoenix Suns 2021. And uh, games, gosh, that's, this series is so interesting because it's not like LeBron is healthy either for the Lakers. Like he's yeah, operating at true. like 80% at this point. And he, he played well, but you're, the thing with the Lakers is like how much can their three best players score? And tonight that is uh, – the answer was 24, 15 from Kuzma, and 11 from Talon Horton Tucker. Yeah. So that is not going to, like, obviously you're going to lose when your three best players score 50 because anyone's going to lose when their three best players are scoring 50, especially when KD, Kyrie, and Harden had 102 in game four against uh, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, the Celtics. That's, that's unfair. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, the Lakers really did, like, as much as we talk about the the third star kind of changing the thing and the Lakers winning last year with a rotating third star, whether it's like, I don't know, was it Kuzma one night and Danny Green or whoever it is, or Rondo, like, the third star does really help in this circumstance where they're like, you just need someone who can give you 30 or at least have a chance to give you 30. Which, yeah, you know, for Denver, that was technically Monte Morris yesterday, but <laughs> the Lakers don't really have anyone on that roster that looks good. No, like, yeah, that's the thing is whenever LeBron didn't have the ball, like I didn't feel any kind of threat to us. Like, yeah, they would knock down the occasional three pointer. But other than that, like the only real chances, real points they would get were second chance points like Drummond getting a rebound or something. But I, I didn't really feel threatened at all at that game. As a yeah, fan. I mean, I get it. And it's it's weird because, yeah, I mean, you look at the roster, it's definitely not a playoff roster. I was already saying before this, like, Drummond should not be playing at all. Like, they should have been starting Marcus Gasol at the five and, and reactivating Montrez Harrell. And yeah, I don't know why they're not playing Harrell a lot. His skill set's kind of repetitive. Like, he's an offensive big who doesn't play defense. And his uh, skill set's just kind of repetitive. And, you know, they've got Marcus Gasol who can shoot threes. And Drummond and Anthony Davis are usually on the court at the same time, even though the Lakers keep getting all these bigs, whether it's, you know, JaVale McGee or Andre Drummond or Trez or whoever it is. Like, they keep getting all these bigs when they're better off with Anthony Davis just playing the five. Yeah. It's just I don't think Anthony Davis wants to play the five, and I think that's, like, it, it just doesn't make sense because I feel another wing player on the court would benefit them a lot. But... Yeah. Um, well, I think they, they definitely need, like, a Bertans. Like, a Bertans or yeah. a Bogdanovich would help them right now. Yeah. Someone who's just more reliable than KCP or, you know, Dennis Schroeder. That would be yeah. something that's helpful for the Lakers, which – 
you know, if they lose, this is the interesting point of like, how do you reconstruct that roster in the off season with not a lot to work with other than like Kyle Lowry in free agency? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and I think if they get Kyle Lowry, I don't know if like, I don't know if KCP's if I don't really know any other contracts. Yeah, so KCP KCP's they, under yeah. contract, but the big one is that Dennis Schroeder is a free agent at the end. Yeah, of the so like, what you you swap Lowry for Dennis Schroeder, and then I mean, I you still you still pretty much have the same team, just a little bit better, I think. Obviously, just Lowry a little bit, better. maybe a little better at point guard. I don't know, yeah. but. The, the Trez that, contract is a bust. KCP is a tradable piece. Like, they're just kind of looking for different things. And no way to get a third superstar. That's the other thing. Yeah, I, I don't really know. And I honestly, I don't really care. I don't like the Lakers. Never have, never will. So, <laughs> as long as they crumble, I'm, I'm happy with it. So <laughs> And you're one game away. You're yeah. one game away from the hardest test at the very least. Like next round you get the nuggets and you're just like, ah, just exhale a little bit, even though the nuggets pose the same problems as the Lakers where they just have gigantic forwards and no guard yeah. play. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, <true. laughs> but still, well, I, like, mean, it's just... I, I think the Lakers like are a better version of the nuggets if they're healthy, like with Anthony Davis and all that. But so I think we should be confident going in, to a series against the Nuggets. I would rather play the Nuggets than the Trailblazers, I think. Damian Lillard always seems to cause problems, so I'd like to avoid him if we could. Um, that, would, that one's tough, because I know the Lakers would want to see the Blazers, but I don't know about y'all against the Blazers. I know Chris Paul can stick on Lillard. Like, I know in the game tonight, like, they were putting Austin Rivers on, on Damian Lillard at the end of the game, but... At the very least, Chris Paul could, like, stick on Dame for most of the game. Yeah. Or Javon Carter even just stick him out there for 10 minutes. <laughs> and that's about it. But Yeah. Javon Carter is just a ridiculous defensive guy. If only he could score. Which yeah, I know. That's why they found Cameron Payne, though. He can do I all know. the things Javon Carter can't. If we can just put them into one point guard, we would be <laughs> – that, that point guard would be crazy. That point guard would be – I'm trying to think of a funny name. Would he be Ricky Rubio? I guess he would kind of – Ricky Rubio can't really shoot. But yeah. I don't know. I like just really, really – Like a Drew Holiday. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how you take campaign and Javon Carter and get Drew Holiday. But, yeah, sure. Something like that. Like just very stout on-ball defense and can yeah. get hot from three. Yeah, I – I don't know. I'm trying to think of anyone else, but I can't really. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of a funny name. I can't think of one right now, but uh, I don't know. Maybe Dante Axum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. There's, uh, or your guy, Tyler Eulis. There you go. Yeah, Tyler. I mean, if Tyler Eulis could, then uh, he'd still be on a team. But he's still just <laughs> hanging around practices. They've got, yeah. they've got 20 point guards, but he's still just hanging around like, y'all ever need me. I might have seen him on the edge of the bench today. Might yeah, have seen I, I wouldn't have been surprised. I think it might have been Langston Galloway. That's probably uh, what yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've got so many just no-name guards on that team, yeah, which they've yeah. always had just a bunch of no-name guards. Whether yeah. they suck or whether they're good, they will always yeah. have no-name guards. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Well, appreciate you coming on for 20 minutes or so. Both of us need to get some sleep now. <laughs> like, yeah. This is an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> 
Yeah, but well, thanks for having me. Hopefully, after maybe after we we beat the Lakers, I'll be I'll, I'll be more than happy to talk about how we beat the defending champions and all this and how everyone loves the Lakers, but we beat them. <laughs> Dude, so. it, our, our tones were very somber last time. Like, Hey, I hope they don't lose in five so that we don't, we can talk again. Now it's like, Oh, they might have a deep playoff run and we've got a son's guy to talk with. I know. I feel, I, I feel bad thinking about what I was saying the last episode. And I was like, wow, like I really sounded pessimistic. And I, I really thought everything was over. And then, we win game four, and I'm like, wow. Why do we want to jinx it the five. other way now? <laughs> no. no. I'm just going to say I'm happy as a Suns fan, and nothing will change that. I'm, well, I won't, and, won't say and, anything else like that. Well, until <laughs> next time. What if I say until next time? Yeah, that, that'll be – that's good. That, that's not too jinxy. Like, that's just yes. throwing it out there because next time could be months from now. Who knows? It could be. I, I'm but, I'm – Hoping to be back on here sometime, so that's or good. Or game seven will end, and I can wallow in your, or I can enjoy you wallowing in sorrow because you guys blew a three-two lead to the defending champs. It was right in your grasp. It was right uh, there. Yeah, that I, I don't know if I'd want to come on here and talk if that happened. <laughs> well, until next time, my friend. Thank uh, you. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Always, always love coming on here. Always a pleasure. I love chatting with you about Suns and NBA and all that stuff. It's yeah, me too. Very but... fun. All right. Have a good night. I'll talk to you later. Have a great night. All right. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.